1: Hi, I'm Raj. And I'm Hardeep. From Thank You Next Podcast, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. Our question is, is it okay to have a poo when you're on the phone, maybe even to a colleague? Because I have pooed while I was on the phone to Hardeep, and I think she might have liked it. Here comes the show, and remember, question everything.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka Hizzer, and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. We are talking everything from...
0: We are talking everything from Raj and Hardy from Thank You Next podcast question. Do you think it's okay to have a poo whilst on the phone to a friend or colleague? That's pretty on the nose there, Dane. Um, we've never done that. Just want to point that out. I've never called you when I'm, I'm, I'm on the
2: toilet. No, no, neither have I. I am... Um... Oh, I lied to you, Howard. I probably messaged you in the toilet. Ah, and, different like, thing, different thing. Completely different thing, completely different thing. I and mean, even then, I'm not trying to, like, strike up a long conversation. I'm just trying to, like, you know, make sure you get your reply so I can go back to doing my wordscapes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on your relationship. Some people are fine with that. Some people aren't fine with it. I would say, you know, the real uh, implications of doing that are the health, uh, yeah, the health implications, really. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just make sure you're not... Yeah, if you're the kind of person that had to wait for COVID to tell you to, wipe, to uh, wash your hands for 20 seconds, you probably shouldn't talk to somebody while you're in the toilet. Yeah. If you're somebody who already had a well-established and effective routine for personal hygiene around your hands, then it's at your discretion, I would say. I actually you know?
0: uh, I actually sometimes call people and we're having a conversation and I need a wee, and then I'll mute myself because I believe I can do the call mute myself and the, the urine's never heard basically
2: yeah that, that can work or just or you, or you tend to like go beat around beat around the uh, ceramic bush and just make sure it doesn't go in the water yeah. and it just goes around the bowl then you can avoid it as very well very wise I would say if I'm going to advise people though uh, probably the best time to have a conversation during defecation while you're on the phone to a uh, creditor <clears throat> or maybe someone doing direct marketing yeah. so they're like sir could I interest you in a new mobile phone just a second plibbidi plaps 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 you were saying I was just opening my bowels right? um, where were we going with this and then that would probably be the bit most effective way of doing it but I would say it's completely at your discretion and varies from friend to friend
0: yeah, wise words and uh, you know suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions uh, even poo
2: related ones never no mind absolutely Howard no question it's too big small lowbrow or literally too shitty for this podcast so if you like the show please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or you can subscribe to us on ACAST the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the questions with all of our biggest guests with that being said, on today's show, our guest is best known for his work as a political comedy character. Since late 2015, this character has amassed over 89 million views on YouTube, with over 1.6 million followers on Facebook. For the BBC, he authored his own documentary, American Pie, and live show, Back to the Studio. At the time of recording, he is preparing for his new tour, Fake News, Corona Remix Live 2021. Please welcome back to the Question Everything podcast, Tom Walker, aka Jonathan Pie.
1: Hello. Hi. How are you? You don't mind if I take a shit while we do
2: this? <laughs> I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I think, you know, you're giving me a. This has to be some kind of a form of consent. So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. So, hey. Are going to do it uh, for the, uh, full, you know,
0: the full hour, Tom? That seems pretty intense. Problems you've. I have to say, I'm not one
1: of these. Um, I don't take my time. I've never understood someone that takes the newspaper with them. I can do a shit. And sometimes I can go for a, a pick. It's, yes, in, that's it's good.
2: Good skill to have. Good skill to have. Ready I think so. I always yeah. wait
1: in the departure lounge, and I can be in and out in thirty seconds.
2: So. Love that. Love that. That's that's how it's done. It's just being efficient with your bowels, and yeah, knowing knowing as when. Like I'm somewhere in between. There's like I'm not like you know make a meal of it, bring a newspaper, or in some cases bring a meal. Well, that's great. Yeah, I've heard of that. That some people take a meal with them while they're using the toilet, and uh. I remember I was in a, I was seeing a lady who had a friend whose husband used to eat while he was defecating. And, um, she was fine with that. Whereas, uh, my partner had a problem with the fact that I didn't always think of places to eat. So, you know, the lesson there is sometimes you should compare your relationship to your friend's relationship, because if your friend's husband can take a dump while he's eating, you probably shouldn't complain that I'm not, Always the first to comment on uh, (laughs) your Instagram posts. How do we feel about?
1: How do we feel about? Like in the morning, you got to be quick. So, wash, brushing your teeth whilst taking the dump.
2: I feel like that's probably how spacemen do it. So that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. You got to get it all done. I think if you're in like the served in in the you're a serviceman or woman uh, or a service person, I should say, and you know, there's probably some kind of like um, multitasking that needs to take place. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, you know, probably not like the shower can do all of those things at the same time, but some kind of hygiene or some kind of, well, as it used to be called, a, a liter- I think the mo- a modern day WC, like a waste chamber, would consist of a uh, receptacle where you could probably urinate and defecate while brushing your teeth, while being power washed. So it was almost like putting your body in like a, um, like a car wash. What's weird for me is the fact that people will. Uh, have a coffee en route to work and surely that makes people's bowels more susceptible to opening. But I always find it weird that like coffee shops on this on this subject of like taking a shit and getting business done, how come coffee shops usually only have one toilet? Yeah. For a caffeine-based business model, it makes no sense.
1: Also, it's, if you've only got one cubicle to shit in, you're almost saying this coffee isn't good enough because a good coffee within a couple of gulps of a good coffee you're ready You're ready to go. It's,
2: you're
1: ready to go, yeah. It's, it's sort of like a, a socially acceptable version of sniffing poppers. You know what I mean? Everything <laughs> yeah. is um, ready. When I, when I used to smoke, I mean, that used to be my favourite smoke. of Because I never was one of these people that got up and lit up. It would normally be about midday. Yeah. And you have a little sip of coffee and one drag of the fag <sighs> and you're like,
2: I'm ready to go. Last night's dinner is... It's primes, it's primes. There you go. It's primed, it's done, it's done the laps. Yeah, it's, it's done. The, it's done. It's done. It's done. It's done the ileum and the colon tour. Small small and big intestine done both venues, and it's good to go. What? It's, good it's to probably go.
0: worth pointing out to our listeners that might be coming to this show for the first time. Uh, this isn't always the content. It's just worth because you know I know some people get a bit upset. I may say this is much better than the last time I
2: was on. Much more Howard and I have evolved as orators as well. We've had time to research some of our topics a lot more and really just you know. Well,
0: but I would I would actually say that when we saw we saw Tom pre-pandemic doing the podcast back when we used to be in studios and not do it remotely, we had a lovely time that day. But it is interesting thinking back to how all our lives have evolved since then and uh, the chances are we were probably chatting about like Brexit
1: Theresa um, yeah. May, and you know, just simpler times. D- Donald Trump. Do you know what I mean? The f- you know the fun times
2: back. <laughs> yeah, back-, <laughs> back-, um, back before the apocalypse didn't seem quite so near. Well, this is it at a time of political turmoil, as opposed to a a time of uh, social disintegration. There was there was, a, there was there still was quite a big gulf between those two situations. But how far and we've all, come?
1: In all, in all seriousness, I think you can sort of. You know, you can have an opinion about Brexit. You can have an opinion about the Tories or Theresa May. Um, And you can still have an opinion about the pandemic or coronavirus or face masks or or vaccines or whatever. But what what the difference is, it was a lived experience that we all went through. Mm. Whereas fucking ranting at the Tories is just a pastime. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Whereas actually ranting at Boris because he's fucking up coronavirus is it became much more personal, you know. Um, And uh, I mean, I know a lot of people that really stuck to the rules. And and, I mean, I think most people sort of strayed every now and then from the rules, but some people were really strict on the rules. And I sort of thought, well, you know, and, and I spoke to them and they were always about, well, I'm going through this. I've lost my job. Mm. I, you know, um, I'm stuck at home. I've got to teach my own kids. I'm going to do nothing that delays opening up by a single minute. Do you know, I don't want to become, um, you know, complicit in that. Um, so I think we all had the stakes
0: were sort of higher. God, that got serious, didn't it? It did get serious quickly. But you know what? You know what, Tom? It's actually, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the uh, kind of format of this
2: show dictates? Absolutely, after a, a thorough cl- uh, colon cleansing, um, <laughs> uh, both uh, metaphorically and uh, also, well, not literally, but um, <laughs> more of a moral, um, colon cleansing, because, you know, people talk a lot of shit, but now we're clear, got rid of those laxatives, and yeah, we're ready for the first question. So... Uh, Tom, as our esteemed guest, uh, we invite you to ask the first question, which could be whatever question you'd like, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes or some change. Then Harold will do the same. I would ask another question that we'd like to discuss. And then finally, I'd like to ask, pose you a question, which we can discuss for the same amount of time, lather, rinse, repeat. And then we'd like for you to tell all of our uh, audience members where we can find out about more of your good works and some good recommended coffee shops. How does that sound? That sounds great. Of course, I...
1: Prepped a question, because I did remember the premise of the podcast. Great, great. um, I'm in the middle of writing my new... uh, This is where I get to plug in early. I'm in the middle of uh, rewriting my last live show. And uh, it's been really interesting looking back over the last sort of 18 months and what's happened. And it's kind of weird. Things have kind of moved on. I, I read jokes that I landed, say, when this first tour went out first a couple of years ago now. And I read it and I go, ooh you know, the conversation's moved on. Do you know what I mean? Something that landed really well a couple of years ago, you go, you're really going to have to, you're going to have to rewrite that to allow that to land without sort of causing a thing. So I suppose my question is, are there things that a comedian should leave well alone? Do you know what I mean? I think particular types of, I mean, I'm writing a, a, one thing that transcended COVID, uh, whilst COVID was happening, I think was the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you know what I mean? It transcended it. It it was other than that. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure that I'm sure elements of the way it happened was because we were in a lockdown, but it, it happens, you know, apart from it. So I'm writing a little section about Black Lives Matter at the minute, and it's sort of um it is a minefield because of course there are things that I want to say, but Am I allowed to say them? What, what? Yeah. So what, I don't know what the fucking question
0: is. <laughs> I think we, I know, oh, I that's see, a very I clear know, question. I, I, yeah.
2: the, the question, yeah, it's a very clear question. Yeah, it's a very clear question. The short answer is I'd say no, no. Just based on the title of a subject. So there shouldn't be a state whereby just through the use of the adjective black to uh, to, pre- to be the prefix for Black Lives Matter, you, if you're a white uh, creative, feel opposed to discussing that. Because yeah. I think that's one of the biggest parts of you know one of the biggest problems in terms of how uh, art is being uh, censored to avoid discourse is the fact that people think only some people can say things or discuss things and some people can't. Um, I, I, particularly some of the more successful comedians I am aware of or I admire, like you know Bill Burr and uh, people like Lewis C K. It was them speaking honestly from the perspective of being cis white men. About race relations that I respected the most, I think it's much more of a. Uh, I think I, I think it's much more of a. You're re- you're reducing a group of people much more by refusing to discuss them because of if, as observational comedians, you're not making observations about people and not acknowledging their existence. I think that's much more damaging than potentially risking a faux pas by, um, you know, treading on what could be a uh, minefield of discussing a taboo subject. Um, I mean,
0: I I, I, I totally agree yeah. with Dane, by the way. I, and I know Dane's yeah. got a lot more to say. I'm just going to quickly ju- jump in and just say yeah, yeah. that... It's all about the brand of the comedian that's doing it, right, Dane? Because you take Frankie Boyle, someone I'm sure all three of us and many listeners respect. I mean, the idea that Frankie Boyle wouldn't take a subject and try and get a reaction that is, you know, (gasps) from people is like, if he stopped doing that, you'd be like, well, this isn't Frankie Boyle anymore. And the fact that he causes offense by doing that isn't necessarily a reason to stop it, right, Dane?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean well, obviously the saying goes to offence being uh, taken rather, rather than being given. But I think obviously any observations when you're dealing with talking about the nuance of human existence means any observation will be at the expense of another group, um, depending on how people take it. But I, I think that you identify a really important problem, um, Tom, is the fact that people through external bodies feel, like, for example, being a cishet white guy, that you can't discuss Black Lives Matter. And I think that's a lot of the time because we expect art to appear as these rigid truths that once you arrive at uh, the end of producing a creative, an aesthetic or creating a narrative, that you're supposed to leave it there and it can't be revisited, it can't be open to be changed dynamically. Like, comedians and all creatives need to have the breadth to be able to say, I was wrong, like any other member of society. And be able to articulate that. So if you do make any kind of observation or you do delve into something, and as time goes at the time of writing, it may ring a lot truer or resonate a lot more than at later times when you find out more idea more about facts or you know. Black Lives Matter is not that it's not particular, it's not it's not an old ideology, but the branding's very new. So really I don't think um it's a problem to kind of While it's at its inception, or it's now at the forefront of people's minds right now, to kind of explore what that means, I think it's it's a lot more damaging and it's a lot more uh, worrying if you hear about a topic or a concept and you're like, "Well, I can't, I can't touch that." That's more of an issue. So, I don't think there's anything comedians should necessarily, or any kind of creative should leave alone. But I say the same thing all the time. I, I feel like you know, even though you are a creative, you don't have any preferential position within society maybe within a particular room or within the industry, that you may have a um, preferred position where people may seek to see what you think about things. But like any human being, it's like any any uh, professional environment where you may discuss a particular subject might be quite taboo. I think you should be equally open to consequences for your actions as any other person. Um, there's somewhat of a code of conduct to an extent. Obviously, comedians can say things people can't associate at work. But by the same token, people are aware I think comedians should have the same protection as anybody else in the place of business. Like, if you're not absolute, if you're not advocating hate speech or damage or harm to another human being, then you shouldn't risk that happening to you in your place of work as a comic. But at the same time, you calling for maybe the uh, brutalization or genocide of another group just because you're a comedian and you go, "Oh, it's a joke," doesn't mean you should be completely absolved of any responsibility from that, because. Mm. You know, part of that is you having your own level of self-awareness of how your words can influence people. Tom, do you find that,
0: uh, that when you've been working on this BLM-based uh, material, like, how have, you, how have you found that? Well, it's, I mean, I think for a, for a start, writing for
1: live, for me, is much easier because you can explore these topics. Because, one, there is a, there's an implicit contract with someone that walks in a room to come and see me, or any comedian, and, and that contract is different than the content that I would necessarily put out online because there isn't necessarily that contract there. You can you can fall upon Jonathan Pye on social media. Um, but I think you can explore things a lot more uh, in depth. Uh, two, he's a character, so you can make him a bit of a wanker, which, which is which is great to, to sort of hide behind. And I, I think, I mean, I've got much better at it. I, I think in society, as well as if you're writing jokes about something, one has to be mindful that what you don't have is a lived experience, the same as someone uh, who who is affected by these sorts of issues. So that's a massive thing that you have to take into account. But it shouldn't mean that an opinion uh, shouldn't be aired. So I'm writing this bit right now, and I'm not um, saying I'm against Black Lives Matter tearing down statues, but it's this idea of you you can hold that position and not be a racist. You can support the the sentiment, for example, Black Lives Matter, but disagree with some of their aims, and that would be a le- and that could be a legitimate position to hold. But some people uh, would shy away from offering that opinion for fear of being just labelled that, that kind of you're either with us or against it kind of thing. You know nuance. What I mean? So that's what nuance. Going,
0: yeah.
1: And, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Nuance of an argument. And also, actually, it, what's interesting is I kind of start this bit off by talking about the Me Too thing, which. In all honesty, I was really cynical about that when that came out. It, it felt um, like a load of people jumping on a bandwagon. And actually, I look back now and you go, that that, that did a huge amount of good, that that movement. Do you know what I mean? And and, and it has changed the conversation, right? So so it begins by Pai admitting that he was wrong about that. And therefore, if you can weave in his reservations about Black Lives Matter in the context that he is prepared to have his mind changed mm. then you can open up a lot more discussion about it so you do ha- you have to be really mindful of that but i think it's good to sometimes hear even if it's a fictionalized version someone kind of going uh, you know i mean i've i've made a career out of slagging like off the Tories but pointing out when woke culture goes too far i think the other thing as well with this sort of thing is is that like you were talking about you can't always produce art through the prism of identity politics, right, which is where most of it these days, the BBC, the Guardian, the mainstream seem to want to do that, right? And it's particularly difficult when you're talking about something like Black Lives Matter, which is an identity politics issue, right, but to write about it not through that prism do you, do you understand what I'm kind of saying there?
2: Um, uh, no, totally, because I, I I, feel like you're describing what I think is the plight of a lot of creatives nowadays, because when you, particularly because we realise that a lot more of this discourse takes place on social media, for example, and the communicative tool there is binary because you're dealing with artificial intelligence, which is why you have these uh, instances where people are taking these very rigid roles where it's either yes or no, for or against, because they're, moving in binary because it's zero and one, how it's communicated. And I think as creatives, we kind of consciously are almost very much trying to exist and thrive within the gray area, which is supposed to leave you that kind of freedom to, yeah, be able to form and begin to form an opinion or form an outlook. And then based on later evidence, in the case of Me Too, for example, being like, I'm cynical about it. And you'll be able to provide just reasons as to why you are cynical and then, you know, through the dynamics of, you know, your horizons broadening and you hearing and learning more, you're able to return to that and be like, I was wrong about this. Because your position as an artist, like your artistry, should be ever evolving anyway. So you should always have that breath to say, I was wrong. The thing is, where we live in a world where, especially on social media, everything's so quantitative and based on yes or no and numbers and it's rigid it's supposed to be this is what was said this is when it was said and therefore this is the kind of views it generated and it's the engagement it generated so it deals with numbers and it and there may be quantitative proof of what you're saying in the form of retweets and those numbers but you don't know like i said we can we you and i could necessarily agree and i may retweet a statement you make about me too from the perspective of i'm like it's quite cynical for us to say you know just blindly believe women we should investigate and ask more questions but You can't differentiate between someone like myself who agrees with that sentiment and someone who's just an open incel and is just actively seeking commentary that is negative towards women. And you can't make that distinction. But what happens is, is that because both people appear to identify um, quantitatively by both retweeting and both liking what you're saying, it it can make it appear as if all of that comes under um, Jonathan Pye's identity politics. And I think that can be the problem sometimes, is that, Yeah. It's not so much what a, the position that a creative takes, it's that how people kind of respond to that position because we're not left with a lot of breadth in terms of having discourse, whether it's having your opinion or your rebuttal reduced to 280 characters, mm. or having it reduced to you just pressing a like button, mm. or having you by you reposting something for the spectacle, or maybe for the absurdity of it. It is indistinguishable from you reposting something because you like or support the message.
1: It was like when um, Rebecca, whatever her name is, is Bailey Long, is that her name? Yeah. When she was fired for reposting an article from The Independent where this actress uh, made a lazy uh, anti Semitic stereotype, right? Um, and uh, she was fired for So it's like it's, it's three times removed. Do you know what I mean? That if yeah. you repost this, you must agree with everything that is said here. And you can be kind of um, well, literally fired for it. Do, do you know and, what and I it's mean? It's
0: incredible, right? Because because we're in a world now that is so uh, advanced, right? In some ways, like Dane just talked through social media and what it offers us as a way. You know, think of how connected you would feel as a teenager now to the entire world. Whereas when, when we were growing up, and probably similar age range, that that you know that you would you would feel connected to your town, and then you might go to central London or something, and you know,
2: it's it's just such a change. And, and my question. But that's that's the so just to cut Mm. you. That's the point is that the teenage point is a really good point you bring up because I think that's the thing with social media. Social media is a teenager now, yeah, and so it's you are now seeing more adult inclinations and what appear to be more adult discussions, but a lack of uh, wisdom and experience in having this discourse within the uh, confines of social media, which is why people, if you retweet something someone says, it's like when a teenager is like, oh. A teenage girl might have a group of friends, and one of her friends has the same as the same course as someone she doesn't like. Mm. So she's like, "Why are you hanging out with her?" It's like, I'm not hanging out with her. I have to take science for my GCSEs. And it's like, well, you you betrayed me because you don't have the wisdom of experience. And also, as a teenager, you're a lot more susceptible to and a lot more responsive to what we now refer to as echo chambers. Of course, because yeah. as teenagers, when you're beginning, you're beginning to explore independence, when you're able to do stuff like just hang out with your friends. It's not when you become a teenager or a tween. It's when you start doing stuff like hanging around with your friends and then your um, purpose for coupling or socialising is no, is no longer dictated by authoritarians. So you've actively or electively chosen what group you want to be a part of. Mm. So if you th- see how that uh, plays out in real life, it's the same as having echo chambers. Once people feel comfortable, whether they're within um, an echo chamber of body positivity or, you know, liberal politics or identity politics, then you're... Very, very adverse to trying to entertain anybody else because, like, when you're in primary school, oh, sorry, when you're in high school, it's the whole you can't sit with us.
0: exactly. And 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 that, that point is so amazing because it just feeds into my question for today and everything we've just talked about, which is, you know, Jonathan Pye... I mean, just to be kind of as blunt as possible, fuck me, he gets a reaction, Tom, right? The, the, do you know what I mean? Wow, like you could not, no one can no matter how you feel about that character, he gets reactions from people. And it's very polarised. I think there's loads of people I've met who are quite right wing that love you. I think I've met some people on the left who love you. I've met some people on either side who, who kind of hate that character. And, and my question is, do you think is there is any chance of us not being as polarised as we currently are, Tom? Because it must be, from your perspective, such a jarring time to exist in, in this kind of creative space. Well, I I mean, right-wing people like
1: me when I say something they agree with. Left-wing people like me when I say something they agree with. Right-wing people hate me when when I say something they don't agree with. And left-wing people hate me when I say something they don't agree with, right? And weirdly, when... Left-wing people don't like me; they call me right-wing. <laughs> and when right-wing don't left-right-wing people don't like me, they call me left. And it's absolutely polarized in in that respect. You know? I mean, I find it for a start. I've never gone out uh, thinking, "Oh, this this will annoy them." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I never. <laughs> I, I, actually, I tell a lie. I mean, I, I knew when I did the Nazi pug one, which was sort of quite infamous. I knew that I was throwing a grenade at the British comedy world, because I explicitly say in it, guys, freedom of speech is important. Where are all the comedians here? Um, And that was really quite uh, polarising. I kind of knew that was going to happen. But other than that, I don't think I've ever sought to get a reaction. But it always amazes me when... I mean, like with Brexit, Pi was always pretty on the fence. He, he, he was like me, a Remainer, but I really, I really did understand people's reasons for voting the way they did, and I quite often expressed uh, that. And I also really took issue with the 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 way Remainers treated people who were thinking of voting Leave and then did vote Leave. You know, I think that that. Explain the result. Do you know what I mean? Just assuming that everyone that's voting differently to you is right wing or a big. That was one
0: of the most interesting things about your journey with this character to me was that I was seeing people reposting your stuff, right? Yeah. and then you kind of criticised their demographic politically, and then they all stop. And it's like, yeah, and then, and then was, I'm never going to listen to you again. You
1: got that one wrong. So well, I got that one wrong. In your opinion, you know, I mean, I think what 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 was a, what was a baptism of fire is I, I was a pretty. When you know, I wasn't really, I'm not a politico. I um, you know, I'm, I, I you know, it, it was a baptism of fire, really, becoming this sort of person that people listened to, not just for the jokes, but really for, for a, a political angle, I suppose. But when I started, I mean, I was a pretty brand standard Guardian reading lefty, but there were certain assumptions that I took with me that, like, Freedom of speech, freedom of expression, are uh, uh, left wing liberal ideals. And the, uh, you, you know what I mean? And, it, I, and I, yeah. I very quickly learned that, that the uh, political landscape was changing in that respect. And it's changed over the six years I've been doing Pi, but now you stand up for free speech. You stand up for someone's right to say something that you fundamentally disagree with. That's taken as a tacit,
2: you know, a full, a full it, political betrayal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that you're tacitly actually, but by implication, you're
0: agreeing with that sentiment. It's like, no, uh, that, that that's not the case. Well, when, when you when you talk about and you know, we brought up that anti-Semitism thing, right? Like the with with the, the labor politician. And it's like, I've said this before on this podcast many times, Dave. Like, someone can make a mistake, you know, someone really close to me. Like, I I'm working with different people at the moment, some people that I don't know. I don't know how much they know about Jews, right? <laughs> they might have no yeah. knowledge. They might just know there was a Holocaust and that's it. They don't know anything yeah, yeah. else. So you, if they, one of the men ended up offending me as if I'm going to fire them on the basis of of that. I mean, if they went really far and revealed some kind of tattoo, then that might change my mind. But, you know, you kind of you kind of think there has to be nuance in the way we deal with each other. Yet right now, it feels like... The idea that someone's about to disagree with you, right? The moment most people realise they don't agree with everything someone's saying, they feel like they're just like, oh, but well, we better not. We better not talk about that. There's no kind of finding the yeah. common ground and learning yeah. from each other is a bad thing.
1: I, I think I think um Mark Steel put it really well, where he kind of goes when he was growing up as
0: a. Le- Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Left uh, wing politics was about finding common ground. So you sort of had the, these these two, you know, uh, and, and the one that springs to mind is the miners, and um, the gay rights, uh, um, you know, activists coming together to help each other out. Two, two, two uh, sections of society that you wouldn't say normally would necessarily get on, but it was about finding common ground rather than now being left wing is about where do we disagree? Uh, and and if you disagree on this particular subject, then what's so bizarre to me is this assumption you're, that you're right-wing. I disagree with you on free speech. You must be right-wing.
0: Like, you know, if, you, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you must be right-wing. Or Do, do you know what I mean? And, 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 and- but going back to BLM, right? Like, you know, uh, I would put this question to anyone, right? <laughs> that some of the actions that occurred during some of the BLM protests, which predominantly everyone would, any right-minded person would agree with, there's the idea that some people acted like dickheads during that protest—I mean, where? What group of people exists where you won't find some dickheads? Like, yeah. you know, like exactly. look at the England fans booing the taking the knee. It's I, some of the people I've heard talk about it. Like, literally, you to get into the stadium, you had to sign a box to say I am going to boo <laughs> the t- taking a knee. Obviously, not all England fans are like that, but there is a percentage of them that are. Oh, so, it's just that—that that kind of lack of sense. That I don't know. It just feels like we're in a really. Bleak time when it comes to all this stuff, where where people are incapable, Dane, of showing a bit of humanity in their opinions. Right? That's
2: all, that's all. It, and that's all it is. It's it's it, the, the problem has come from the fact that humanity is trying to coexist or have its consciousness coexist with artificial intelligence, and it's not how our minds work. Um, nobody ever needed to be so pronounced about uh, where they sat on a bipartisan political spectrum. And we never were that massively divided. Now, I myself personally believe this is down to uh, the class of people that rule over us, irrespective of your political political stance. So, I look at it like this in the terms of the fact that, like, the extremity of the left is supposed to be like cap- uh, communism, um, and the most extreme example would be a nation like North Korea. However, the leader of North Korea is a very wealthy man who inherited his power from his dad. So to me, that is no different to any kind of crypto-fascistic or uh, monarchistic or autocratic government or governing body that you'd have in the West or in the Middle East. In the same way that uh, the extreme of the right is supposed to be like fascism or like with uh, capitalism. And yet in 2008, we had to defend on the very socialist method of um, taxpayer money to bail out the banks, which were too big to fail, which is a concept doesn't exist. So for me... Uh, the, the bipartisan political spectrum is very good theoretically but no human being has ever been able to adhere to one wing in totality just to thrive in western society but then now it's like this: this idea that people are supposed to be able to only function in these kind of binary fashions as you say where it's like if you don't support this then you must be this and it, as if human beings don't have some kind of great area or we're not capable of being moderate
1: you mentioned you know earlier about you know um Lazy anti semitism and stuff like that. I was talking to someone the other day on this very subject, and there is—I mean—we're so unforgiving uh, of, of when people err, you know. But there is a big difference between uh, conscious bigotry and ignorance of something. Where you might you're ignorant of something, and I don't mean that rudely. Someone the other day that didn't really understand the concept of the Jewish people and had not heard of the Holocaust, and this was an adult guy right and we had and he was i mean he was mortified right but i was like there's yeah. a big difference between your ignorance
2: on that subject and you knowing about it and acting like a prick do, do you know what i mean uh, there, completely no you mean it's, it's a very there's a marked difference i say this all the time it's like it's like i would even argue a lot of black people or, or uh, you know members of the asian diaspora have evolved to the point whereby you almost are, are more than aware like i had an instance where i was performing in salford and a guy offered to buy me a drink and, you know, mentioned a member of his family I reminded him of and used the word coloured. And I was like, while this is considered to be an, an archaic term or a derogatory term, somebody who is offering to buy me a drink and liking me to a member of his family and who is basically hounding me to have a conversation is probably not a racist. But you can only subsist on the nomenclature you've been given. And that's a big part of the fact is that the more we try to, um, try to censor and remove words, even if they are pejorative or they are derogatory terms, you're still robbing people of adjectives and nomenclature, which allows them to have the discourse. So even if they use a word to find out why they shouldn't use that word, that's also important. Or them having awareness of a word and the connotations of that word and why they shouldn't use it is something that people have been deprived of as well. In his case, you know, you you take the drink and also if you find the right opportunity, you may be
1: politely go, dude, you're not really supposed to say that anymore. And then it, you yeah. may. I did, a, I did a bit in my second show and it was about this idea that pi calls his dad a racist because his dad uh, re- referred to the black community as colored people rather than people of color. And it's like, and in in, in his head, in, in Pi's dad's head, it's like, but it's the same fucking thing, you know? And it's got yeah. the 70-year-old man who's been using that phrase and it takes time to relearn it. Also, interestingly, in, the, in that show, I did a, a little set piece about the the, the terminology bane, Right. And how Pi kind of considered it really weirdly exclusionary. And it, and it was like white people and BAME people, i.e. white people and other people. Right. And yeah, it was a like. set of people. But I got into some shit for it by well-meaning sort of woke people. And it's like, fair enough. But what was interesting was about three or four months ago, there was this report that came out that went, yeah, Bain, we really need to stop using that because it's exactly the the things that... And you kind of go, well, so me having bought that up two years ago, wasn't me being a dick about... The BAME community. It was it was a sort of a take on this idea that the words and the phrasing move so quickly, it's fucking hard to catch up and you have to forgive someone. Absolutely. They haven't been told not to use it, you know?
2: Well, you know, it's, it's like terms like hermaphrodite where, you know, it would have been a term used uh, to describe someone who would now be called intersex or potentially, uh, I guess, non-binary, but normally someone who'd be intersex. But at the time, like, I didn't. I did. I had no awareness awareness of that. I also didn't know the etymology of the word. is It's because hermaphrodite is a portmanteau of the goddesses Hermes and Aphrodite. It's like you said. I guess I personally feel like until we get to the quantum of the commonality of all of our humanity, we have to keep looking at these words, dissecting them, because it seems like that read this woke rebranding and use of names really seems more. Like something like BAME, when you think about it, it sounds more like something you come up with in marketing, more of a coding for, uh, that, yeah, for how, how to effectively target somebody. Yeah, so a lot. I think a lot of this nomenclature, again, again, as I say, because it normally finds its an inception and its popularity is pushed on social media or on online. I think it's. I think it's just a method of just doing effective targeting, same as LGBT, because you could ask some gay people who they to there are. I mean, we're not we're aware of like you know trans exclusionary feminists. And, you know, the existence of, you know, there are people that would be considered to be transphobes, even within the LGBT community. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's the the only commonality in that community that they share is the fact that they are lumped under these other letters in the same acronym. But the life of a, an, you know, of maybe a middle class gay man living in the home counties is very different to, you know, the trans, the African-American trans woman that's, Trying to survive living in New York, like they have two very different lives, and there's so much intersectionality there that they would probably they would probably be of similar, varying uh, backgrounds to you and I, Tom. But they they, they would be considered under the same group, yeah. a supposedly protected group.
1: But I suppose the other way is that 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 if they are considered part of the same group, if you look at say the LGBT, which is now LGBTQ, you know, plus this that the other right. And, and w- one line of thinking would be, well, that means that you can find your, that there are more identities, so you can, uh, you know, uh, identify more easily. Yeah. Right? But I suppose I suppose my question with that is, is that it seems to me that identity, it, it, it's the natural end of, uh, of identity politics, where there is kind of, everyone has a letter, right? Or, or everyone everyone is pigeonholed into their own little box yeah so everyone it, it separates
2: everybody out do you know what I mean I know exactly what you mean that but I I fear that's what they want I think it's about reducing human beings to as many different quantitative um, categories as possible for the purposes of of, of- Commodifying uh, human consciousness,
1: and what it does do is the opposite of what woke says it does on the tip. Exactly, which is bringing people together and not judging people by sexuality, gender, uh, um, uh, skin color.
2: It, it means that all of all of their labels precede their humanity before anything else. You tell everyone. What makes you different to everybody else, instead of what makes you like everyone else? I
1: did a bit about that pie that didn't go very well because it wasn't particularly shareable, the opinion. But it was a, it was when Russell T. Davis uh, a few months ago came out and said that he would only cast uh, gay actors in gay roles because uh, of, and it wasn't because to do with op- equal opportunities or whatever. It was to do with authenticity, which I thought was a tacit misunderstanding of what an actor's job is. So I just kind of took it to task, right? But. The, the way, you know, and I respect him very much, and um, I'm sure his opinion is valid, even if I happen to disagree with him. And I, I wrote it in as pie. You go, you know, I know a lot of gay people and their sexuality is the least interesting thing about... Me. Do you know
2: what I mean? Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: How you identify, I am a gay man. You go, well, of course, that's an important identity marker. But if that's all you've got, I, it's it's not... Interesting, no. you know, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, completely because that's that's the thing with a lot of the uh, our designation and the uh, creation of you know progressive groups like the LGBT community or you know when someone is asserting their status as a gay person, like that exists. That really that really exists. Re- I mean, the reason why we create this stuff is that we're all supposed to be working towards like the point where, as you say, no one really, no straight person within a t- typical conversation prefaces their conversation by t- announcing their sexual orientation. So that's what we're supposed to be working towards, whereby, like, as you said, your sexual orientation is, is the least the most, least interesting thing about you. It's should it's, it's, it's be so incidental anyway. And, and what we're working towards is the point that, and this is the problem with, the, I guess, what people perceive as the woke or liberal left, is that your postulation about labels and nomenclature is really supposed to be about inclusion, when really you're, what you're creating is uh, separation.
1: I mean, I think that's the thing that I often get get taken to task with. If you if you do bring this up, that you're somehow attacking uh, woke culture because you think its aims are ridiculous, and that's not the most pe- most people who would consider themselves woke or liberal left or or uh, identitarians or something. It's a noble uh, cause. My what my my issue that I take up with it is you go. I just think tactically you're getting it wrong, and also yeah. you know if you are obsessing about like you say the, the the words, it's it's important, right? But what's more important is the systemic injustices that are going on. The more important one, you know what I mean? That we live in a world where there are more billionaires than ever and more people starving than ever. Yeah. You go, you know, um, uh, and and. Um, and this sort of obsession with our past, which is really important that we are teaching our past um, correctly and truthfully, but there are things going on today that are to me more important than that old statue of Colton. Yeah. you know what I mean and I don't mind if you want to tear him down tear him down but but by tearing him down you haven't really solved
2: yeah it's all, all you're doing is removing imagery and even I, I mean I look at it on one of two ways. I, for me, like, if part of your expression of your anger is that you're like, fuck this whole establishment and I'm knocking down a statue while I'm at it, I'm like, fair enough, because I don't think you should temper people or in the same way that you can't really temper or sense of freedom of speech, you also can't temper, like, you know, political um, dissent, you can't tell people to protest, but protest in a way that's a bit quieter over here. Like if people are being oppressed, they how they choose to express it, as long as they're not causing harm or loss to innocent people, then because that's I guess that's what terrorism is, to have your political goals met through violence is terrorism. But if you're protesting and shit gets knocked over or a window here or there gets smashed, well, in the same way they say with the armed forces, if a, a civilian's killed, it's collateral damage. But like you said, removing the statue without removing the reasons as to why it has to go and having that open discussion doesn't really make any, any sense because even even people that defend the statue aren't necessarily aware of why it may need to be removed or what the connotations of it are. But all they hear is, this, is, this statue represents this, we want to destroy it, and that person's like, but that's a part of, but there's people that also encourage to politically identify what the symbolism of said statue, and that's where the problem is, is that I think a large amount contingent of human beings, because they've been so steeped in identity politics for so long, are uh, now at the point where they are their identity is very much dependent on their affinity with a particular ideology because you know the thing with some people is that it's their racism seems fueled by this hatred alone but i I, think I would theorize some of the hatred the biggest part of the hatred is self-hatred whereas like for some people without being able to identify politically with what they perceive to be the goals and achievements of the british empire and the um, preferential uh, position having British citizenship gives you over the world in a format Commonwealth and empire, they don't really have anything else. And so, you know, it's maybe looking at that as a complex in itself is who, if, why do people still hold on to so many of these archaic ideas and is it, is it because they don't have anything else? Which leads me on to my question, Howard, because I think it's about Absolutely.
0: Time. I was just about to it's, just about uh, to nudge you in that yeah. direction,
2: Dane. So, Tom, I'm saying obviously, like, you know, as I said, in many ways, Jonathan Pye kind of was speaking very prophetically about what does happen if people do not entertain discourse and do not um, consider, I guess, the equivalent of the now hypothesis for these social experiments and these ideas, to the point where I think for most satirical performers or creatives, because the truth is so much stranger than fiction, it gets harder and harder to kind of parody. But I wanted to ask you, based on what you've seen in maybe the last, let's say, let's say four years, what would be the ideal, and it could be completely conceptual ideology, or current ideology, current political structure, uh, current uh, nation, that uh, Jonathan, the character Jonathan Pye would admire, hmm. or, does, or currently does admire, is there anywhere where he's like, well, no one knows what they're doing apart from this guy, or this this woman, <laughs> or no country knows what the fuck is going on apart from this Well,
1: guy. I mean, so you've got the New Zealand Prime Minister, and everyone else are right, but there are about 40 people in New Zealand <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean so it's yeah. like yeah so it's like uh, let's keep her aside you know I think it's kind of weird writing the show at the minute and it's looking back over the last 18 months or so which of course it included in that was you know the final end of the Corbyn project you know um, so you sort of you know th- there's not a huge amount I can write about Corbyn because he's he's gone now but just sort of So, so you've got to just do one joke about it, I suppose, and go, and then Corbyn left and blah, blah, blah. And you go, I think the thing with Corbyn was, and this is maybe the way to go, if if you remember his second to last uh, election, which was against Theresa May, where he did unexpectedly well, a lot of that is to do with because she was a fucking dreadful candidate. But his manifesto was really genuinely interesting, and it was a socialist, uh, old school sort of socialist. you know, uh, agenda where the working classes were included and were going to be looked after and that kind of thing. The problem with Corbyn was he he, he was a bit of a sort of mood mover, k- k- charismatically, um, and also he was seen as sort of um, an IRA sympathiser who would prefer to be sort of making chat than. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. Was, so I think, sort of politically, it was it could have been great. Uh, you know a left winger in charge of a left-wing party you know and i think i think actually we are right for a little bit of socialism i mean actually if you just yeah. look at what we've gone through what happens when a global pandemic hits socialism that's what happens do you know what i mean like you said earlier what what bailed the banks out? socialism, our tax dollars, right? So it it is possible for someone even like Boris Johnson or Trumpy, you know, for a while there, handing out checks to the poorest, you go, socialism can work. And I think it would be a vote winner, you know? That's what I would like to see, that you've got to get a fucking opposition. The idea that Boris Johnson is in number 10 with a healthy majority means
2: our system is is broken in more sides even if you are a conservative
1: Even if you're a staunch brexiteer Boris Johnson is fucking useless
2: no yeah. matter no matter who you are he's a fucking hunt right do you know what I mean <laughs> yes. so, um... absolutely for anyone for anyone to even have hired Matt Hancock and we all know if it was down to Boris Johnson that guy would still have his job.
1: Of course, he is, because Boris himself is still pissed off for having been fired by what I think it was uh, Howard for lying about having an affair while he was in government. He's still pissed off about it. It's like that's if you lie about shagging the fucking secretary, you fuck off and you fuck off that day. Um, what a cunt! <laughs> I I, uh, I rarely call people a cunt on the, <laughs> the weekly on the weekly. Uh, thing you know the yeah. content that I put out because like I say um you can stumble upon it on Facebook your kids can stumble across Jonathan Pye and
2: sometimes it has to be done I, I, I think it's sometimes it's holding back on that kind of profanity and like you said some that this is a definitely an exercise in context in that like you said kids can stumble upon it but if I was a kid and then I was like, this man felt strongly enough about this other guy to use this word. I should find out why. And I would probably be like, you know what? I understand why that means now.
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, exactly. That's the proper use of it. The only way I thought I could get away with it is if Pi says it and really means it. And it works because it's like, it's not just to throw away, ah, oh, he's a cunt. It's like, he is a cunt. And it lands <laughs> beautifully because you rarely hear Pi say it. I mean, I had old grannies Tweeting it, going. <laughs> I would normally use that word. You're absolutely fucking right. He isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so,
0: you know when you kind of do like, interesting question to you, you know, subsection to what Dane's saying. Just you know when you talk to people and like something goes wrong, right? Like I'm sure you've had it, and you're like, yeah, oh, your instincts. My instincts are to apologise as quickly as humanly possible because I have made a mistake. Now, I get the sense that I'm in a minority there. Uh, Most people want to try and back out of the situation without any blame. Whereas I'm like, blame me. Like, please. Like, I definitely know I'm not fucking perfect. Like, Dane, if I ever fuck you off, just... I'm, 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 I'm at full most likely
2: well that's the, that's the other thing Howard is that I'm also the kind of person where I do just blame people what I don't do is I won't internalise something and then go and project on people who are less deserving or people I perceive to be more vulnerable so I'm not like I'm coming home to argue with my partner had a bad day at work I'm like fuck my boss <laughs> so I'm that kind of person anyway so you'll, you'll be fine in that respect but I think yeah I think it's most people do acknowledge when they uh, their shortcomings or when they make mistakes, but I think you're now dealing with a uh, government institution who themselves did not realise their positions merit, meritocratically. When you think about it, like Boris Johnson inheriting from Theresa May, who herself wasn't democratically elected after David Cameron resigned after uh, you know, the Brexit result. So we are still dealing with that kind of, butt of that knock-on effect of media manipulation, creating a state within based on you know the division within the country which in turn made david cameron go basically you're you're watching a horror film unfold where david cameron is like more like the ambitious like genetic engineer who does an experiment and then people like maybe you've gone too far this time david he's like don't worry about it guys like no one will (laughs) want to leave without knowing all the facts that'd be stupid no one's that stupid how could they be that dumb they don't even know anything about it look Guys, if they vote to leave, I will fuck a pig in the mouth. <laughs> Calm down. No, no, come on. No one is that dumb, guys. Didn't, we haven't even printed anything about it. They don't even know what a referendum is. They won't do it. And then it happened. He was like, oh, shit. And then Theresa May was like, well, I wasn't ready for this. I wanted to remain. And they was like, yeah, but we're the Tory party. We got to stick together. We need to keep our power, otherwise we lose our power base. And she's like, okay, cool. We can leave. Uh, how are you going to make us leave, Theresa? I don't know. I didn't want to fucking leave. What did you say? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a quit too. And then just, there was just nobody left. Like, I'm sure for many, many months, people were like, listen, somebody has to get hold of this thing, otherwise Boris is going to be in charge. <laughs> and now, you have a man who literally who hides it. Like, do you, this, the, the level of transparency I realised in the detachment of the privileged elite in the UK versus the proletariat was more and more pronounced than a man who thinks he can hide in a fridge and return to work after that. Like, that's insane. Do you think if you worked for Sky... And they were like, what's wrong with my Skybox? And you jumped in their bathtub. They'd ask you back to their house. They wouldn't.
1: I think we're also at a stage where where Boris, uh, I mean, you know, politicians have always lied. They've always, you know, but we're at a stage now where someone like Boris, I don't know what's happened, but they get away with it. A blatant, blatant lie. and, And Trump as well, you know. yeah, Someone that can stand at the podium and blatantly lie, blatantly contradict what they said a week before. Or like with Matt Hancock, um, Boris trying to sort of suggest that he fired him, even though we all saw him not do it. And a- yeah. also them saying, uh, you know, um, herd immunity was never a government position, even though we all heard at that press conference them talk about it. But it's like, no, it didn't happen.
2: It's partially Kelly. It's Kelly Anne Ann Conway's fault, partially, because she introduced the term fake news to mainstream media. So she's basically, so in a way that we're saying where we are being deprived of the nomenclature required to have conversations, the right or the extreme right are arming themselves with new, like kind of newspeak or Wellian newspeak, which allows them to lie in your face. You know, if you say alternate facts, that doesn't sound like this is an out and out lie. If you say fake news and you can basically just like decry mainstream media and you can basically reduce the idea of journalism, people go along with it. And I think the scariest thing being is that because human beings are such, we function as a social species and we function, especially, and within uh, politics, we're definitely creatures of like habit and projection. The lower that the social bar becomes, the more accepting people be of it. It's like being law-abiding nowadays in itself is exhausting in that, you know, paying your taxes while paying your pension, while paying your TV license, And paying for your healthcare, being law abiding is a very expensive exercise. So, when you're offered the opportunity to cut corners in that respect, then most people want to take it if you get a discount or you can get any kind of like, you know, concession. And I think what you have with the current leaders of the West is that they are enabling like social concessions. You don't have, if you have a leader like Boris Johnson, you do not feel incentivized or pressured to better yourself, to seek facts. Because you're like, the prime minister is a complete incompetent. I don't have to do any work. Why do I have to be a better person? What you got to remember, so, social convention is dictated by those who lead and craft uh, the mechanics of your society or who gives the yes or no in those things. If you know you have a prime minister who doesn't even know how many children his side with how many women, what is your incentive really for you to conduct yourself in a positive fashion within society? Like... This is the existential question. I don't think most people are asking. Like, if you are a child growing up in the UK now, why should I be a good child?
1: Well, because also, also you know, as a child growing up in the UK,
2: that you don't live in a meritocracy by virtue of who is yeah. in number ten. Exactly. You know that. So, what's your incentive to work hard? Is the holographic the, the, the effect, the butterfly effect of Boris Johnson's presence tells any person who has been brought up with the intersectionality of Judeo-Christian um, fundamentalism versus, like, you know, common law as a part of being within a civilized society, all of these things are being thrown in your face and trivialized just by a man who is leading a fucking country with a nuclear arsenal, finds questions difficult, and he hides in a fridge. It's not that he hid in a fridge, it's that we can find you in a fucking fridge. (laughs) If you hid somewhere you couldn't, like a panic room, I'd be like, cool, that's where a leader should go. If you hid in a bunker, I'd be like, fair enough, he needs to have someone like that to hide in the event of like DEFCON 1 or any kind of thing. <laughs> but I can find you in a fucking fridge, Boris. On that but bo- <laughs> Even doors have locks, Howard. Even sheds have padlocks. <laughs> even a fucking toy box has a padlock. Even a fucking locker in a school corridor needs a fucking combination to open. I don't need that for a fridge. Right. So you're not even able to hide your stupidity properly. Well, on that
0: <laughs> on that note, I have to say it, it's been a brilliant episode uh, to have Tom uh, with us, right, Dane? And, uh, and the fact that you've got this tour coming up must be very exciting, Tom, to, to get excited for.
1: Yeah, I hope, I, I, you know, I'm the most positive that it's going ahead that I've been in 18 months. I mean, I've delayed it. Three times. I mean, it, uh, some people will have seen what they think is the show before, but I'm rewriting it now and it's totally different. So if you've already seen it, it's completely different. And if you haven't seen it, uh, you, you haven't missed out. I'm trying to get a lot of repeat business as well as new business. But it's been, it's really um, great not to be writing about Brexit and dumping all the old Brexit material and, corona it up this uh, really week um, so yeah looking forward to it, JonathanPie.com for to check it
2: I think most people would be trying to find out what Jonathan Pie thinks about all of this and I, and I really hope that uh, the pandemic has been a catalyst for everyone else's inner than Jonathan Pie, to kind of be like yeah on the one hand I'm going to present this veneer of conformity but on the inside I'm like what the fuck, are the fuck? and uh, that's what people seek from Jonathan Pye so it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast Tom, thank you
0: You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. Our guest was Jonathan Pye. You can follow Jonathan on Twitter and Instagram at Jonathan Pye News. The show was produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheHowardCohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at dbqe podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything.